It's our privilege to present this message from the teaching ministry of Reverend George DeYoung as part of the Fruit from Under the Fig Tree. George DeYoung is the founder of Under the Fig Tree Ministries, an organization dedicated to helping people understand the power of God's Word in its Jewish context to equip them to impact their culture. George helps us understand the message of Christ by experiencing the world of the Bible. We pray you're challenged and encouraged by the Word of God as George brings us this teaching from the text. Now, let's see with our eyes, hear with our ears, and set our hearts on what God desires as we join George recorded live on location. So if you open up your Bibles, please, to 1 Corinthians 13, and you can follow along. <clears throat> so if I, if I go to... Um, Verse 4, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it's not proud, it's not rude, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in the evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease, and where there are tongues, they will be stilled, and where there is knowledge, it will pass away. And then I'm going to shift to the screen and read from the screen. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. And when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. That's the passage I want to study with you today a little bit. And let's go back to the beginning. Let me highlight a few things for you. Now, before I do, <clears throat> I want you to know that every translation is an interpretation, and the translators have done a magnificent job. But one of the reasons I got trained in our tradition emphasizes the original languages is so that we can look at the text and we can hear it speak as it originally was spoke and then hear it in our context where we are today. So I'd like to unpackage some of the words in this text for you and help you to understand. For now, we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. First of all, I want to talk to you about impart. Okay? The, Hebrew, the Greek words impart, meros. And impart means to some degree. We all know things to some degree. We all know things to some extent. We all know things some degree, some extent, and we know these things for some period of time. That's all contained in that word. It's all contained in that word. And I, I just want you to understand, as I've watched the media over the last several months, everybody talks as if they have knowledge. And they treat people who don't agree with them as if they didn't have the knowledge. Very few said, well, we only know in part. We only know in part. So back to our text. For we know in part. We just know temporarily. We only know a portion. We only know a little bit. So we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, now, perfection is the Greek word teleos. Or, yeah, the Greek word teleos. Say teleos. 
It's a very interesting word, and it happens a lot of places, and it's well worth a study, but not, not this morning. For our time now, teleos is translated here as perfection. In other places, it's translated as genuine. In other places, it's translated complete. But when I think of genuine, complete perfection, I think of Jesus. When I think of the perfect, Jesus. Now, that could have an eschatological or end times application, which it certainly does. But it has a here and now application. So we know in part, but when Jesus comes on, then the imperfect will disappear. Hold on to that. The text goes on. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. Now, you'll have to forgive me here because this really, really touched me. Partly because we've had the honor of taking care of my two grandsons, four and five years old. They're children. The Greek word here is not for child. There are a couple words in Greek you can have for child. You can have paideia for you Greek students. You can have uh, technon for a child. But, but the, the Greek word here is the Greek word nipios. Nipios is an infant. Baby, there is a big difference between a child and an infant. Because my little Reese, he knows it. Okay? I'm having a little conflicts, power struggles with little Reese. Okay? He's four years old and he's acting as if he's 40. Okay? And I'm just, we're working together. Paca? No, we don't do it that way. I, I'm telling you, uh, the, the, it, so, I love him. Love him like crazy. Sometimes there's a lot of uphill to the love, but I love him. Okay? That's a child. That's not the word he uses here. An infant. Do you know how much an infant knows? Nothing. It knows when he's hungry, and they'll cry, and he knows when he does his pants, and he'll cry. Other than that, not a whole lot. Now we see Paul is punctuating something here. Now we know in part. Now we prophesy in part. And you know how big the part is? Infant big. Infant big. And it's okay to be an infant. In fact, I don't think there's a single person in this room that didn't start as an infant. The problem is if we stay there. Especially if we stay there in terms of how we relate to each other because there needs to be maturity, and that's what Paul says. When I became a man, I put infant ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. So I thought I'd because I'm a context kind of guy, I thought I'd get a picture of a Roman mirror. So the bottom part of that mirror, that man that's holding the mirror, is a bronze uh, handle to the mirror, and the mirror itself is silver. It's silver. It's polished. They polished it as good as they possibly could. And that that was a mirror. So I have to think, because the lovely and gracious Beth, when she puts on her makeup, she looks in the mirror, right, looking in this puppy, wee, So, and look at this. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. That word for poor reflection, that word for poor reflection is the word enigma. And the word enigma means a dim image or a riddle. In other words, we're looking at things 
and we're trying to figure them out. We're trying to figure them out. I'm looking in this mirror, and then, and then, and there's a little interesting, there's a little interesting shift of words in the Greek, okay, the translators don't pick up on. It, next thing, now we see a poor reflection in the mirror, then we shall see face to face, sorry, now I know in part, then I shall know fully. What's interesting here is the word for, the second word for know, K-N-O-W, is not the same for the first word. In fact, more aptly translated, it would say, now I know in part, then I shall perceive fully. Now, when you know something or you see something, when you see something, you may not necessarily know it. How you see it, where you stand, depends on what you see. And that affects what you know. Now I know in part, then I shall perceive fully, even as I am fully perceived. Yes, God knows you, but he also sees you. And when, I, when God sees you, and when he sees me, he sees us in our situations. He sees us in a situation where there's unjustness. He sees us in a situation where there's abuse. He sees us in those situations where, where, where we've been victimized in whatever way. He, he perceives us fully. Because in our crisis, and there isn't a single life that will not have about a crisis, we need to understand that this time of crisis is not intended to build our character because the fact of the matter is, crisis reveals character. This is our time to shine. This is the time for the kingdom to stand up. This is the time for the lights, no matter how great the darkness, to shine. Quite frankly, I, in my whole ministry career, I think I've been guilty of having 1 Corinthians 13 be, serve as a wonderful wedding text. I've never studied it to the extent that we're studying it now. And yet it's so crucial. Now, I'd like to think with you about helps for our healthy struggle together. See, here's the fact of the matter is, you only know in part, and I only know in part. You see things and you're trying to riddle them out. I'm seeing things and I'm trying to riddle them out. So how do people who only see part, who are trying to riddle things out, how do we get along together? How do we get along together? And you see, that's critically important in my opinion because Jesus said, they're going to know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. And I'm telling you, the disciples were very different from one another. Very different. The Corinthians were very different from one another. So I thought, what I'm about to say is not going to make any sense to you unless I first show you this picture. A picture of Niagara Falls. I know exactly where that picture was taken. I've stood there. Maybe you have too on the Canadian side. Because you can get right beside there. And you can watch that water flow over. And to me, I want to offer you that picture as a picture of God's grace. 
I want to show you that picture is a picture of God's love. Unending, ever-flowing, overwhelming, overpowering love. Jericho defeating. Golgotha defeating. Tomb defeating love. And if you think when God defeated death, it was a close one, I don't think you understand God. He overwhelmed it. He smashed it. He loves. It's the only way he knows how to love. Like this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He could do no other. He could do no other. He couldn't resist it. He's love. And when he gave his son, he didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. No. No, it's, that's not God's agenda. God is not a hateful deity waiting and watching for people to fail and stumble and fall. God is a God. There's no one who wants you in heaven more than God does. He paid for it. He doesn't want to condemn. There is no condemnation in Christ. Now there's convicted. If you walk out of the service and you say, you know, I really got to, I don't feel condemned, but feel convicted. I've got to work hard. I've got to try more. I could, because I, just, I didn't realize God loved me so much. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but he sent his son to save the world. Now, if I could translate, if I can put into different words that classic John 3.16 passage, just the first part, for God so loved the world, because love for us is emotion. I'll lay this down. You don't have to pick it up, okay? Um, but, but I would translate it this way. For so God graced the world. And for you and I to embrace these helps for healthy struggle, we need to understand we have been so loved that maybe this is what grace for each other and grace for those around us might look like. We seek a win-win scenario, not a win-lose. I'm telling you, the devil pulls us towards a win-lose. I mean, all of our sports, and I'm not criticizing sports, like, but all of our sports is win-lose. Um, we, we played a pickup game of hockey. There were no refs. It was four and four. So there's nobody to enforce offsides. So everybody's playing. Now, if you want to cheat, you can, but that's no fun. And there was one time when we were offsides, and we just simply threw the puck behind their net and said, okay, it's your turn. We just all skated out of the zone and let them take it out. There are rules. There are rules that, that hold us together. And, 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 but, but what we're looking for in that little hockey game, the reason I give you that illustration is that that, is that, that was a win-win. Because we weren't there to see who scored the most goals. We were there to play some hockey and have some fun. And if we had to move some players around, now I understand in competition and everything, like that's a different thing. But you see, it, it, it's a picture of where you and I are. We don't want to win and they lose. Do you really want to win and have me lose? See, here's the struggle. There are those who see government intervention and say, we need to submit to authorities. There are others who see government intervention and are thinking of Dietrich Bonhoeffer and the church, the Lutheran and Catholic Church in Germany in World War II and say we have to resist. 
and the fact of the matter, both are right. Both are right. What we need to do is understand the dance together so that we both win and we both understand and we both hear. We get into each other's mind. That's what love looks like. I mean, if God came down and and wanted to, to do winners and losers, that wouldn't take very long at all. No, no, we seek to win-win. And, and can you imagine this, our Jesus who was in heaven where everything was perfect and he comes to earth and everything is wrong? And if he came down to do winners and losers? No. I think one of the reasons why Jesus went to the Father in prayer every day is, is because he needed to take a breath of heavenly air. He needed to get his. He needed to be encouraged. He needed to be patient with Judas and patience with Peter and James and John again with who's the greatest. And yet he never. He didn't. He didn't. He didn't. He didn't come for winners and losers. We of all people are people of the word. God creates by speaking. He creates by speaking. We're people of the word. The word governs our lives. That's why we need to shema. We need to hear. We need to hear. But being people of the word is more than just hearing. Being people of the word is people who speak to each other as well. And we speak to each other as carefully and as clearly as we can. Carefully and clearly as we can. I don't get it right all the time. But it was a number of years ago when I was studying for the shepherd leadership trip, leadership trip that we, we led where people spend a day, first thing they do out of the gate is I divide people in groups of two or three, and at Petra we have about 15 flocks that we could use, and, and we'd, we'd put two people per flock, and they'd spend the whole day, and they'd, they'd, they'd watch the flock. And, and they to watch the shepherd, how they engage. It's in that context that I became so committed to this that all leadership cannot have about it the reactive. All leadership has to be proactive. And if I find that I'm reacting to someone, that's a red flag for George, and I shut down and I pull back. Because I know if I react, I'm going to add fuel to the fire. I'm going to make the destruction ball that several tons heavier. If I feel myself reacting, I try to pull back. And in pulling back, call a timeout, assess. It's part of speaking carefully and clearly. And speaking with candor. And what I mean by that is all the information's on the table. And this is one of the difficult things in our culture right now, in our times right now. Because here's the deal. People have weaponized information. So that if what you happen to believe, as you've looked into a mirror dimly, as you know in part, and as more parts come around, and it becomes the part that you had, the side that you were on, got to be really careful that we don't weaponize that information. We're not in a win-lose. We're in a win-win. I don't even know, I don't know if you realize, um, I think you do, 
that God, God graciously releases truth to us as we can take it in a way that we can take it. So, for the, our Jewish ancestors, it was Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Ha, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Then Jesus comes along and says, yes to that, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then one generation later, the Apostle Paul says, all of the law is summarized in this, love your neighbor as yourself. And, and, and we got people who we... We don't agree with, and we don't, we don't, but how do we handle, how do we struggle? Well, we seek a win-win. We're people of the word, where we listen to God's word and we live God's word, but we also are people of the word where we articulate to each other, and we share with each other as clearly, as carefully, and with candor, not weaponizing the truth. And then lastly, we value highly accountability. We understand that we're all in the maturing process. When I was an infant, when I was a child, but now I've become a man. I will tell you, I will tell you, in my opinion, every Sunday that passes, every message you hear, every Bible study that you've been a part of it, increases your accountability before God. I'll never forget the time that John Maxwell in a lecture once said that we are educated way above our level of obedience. I don't know what that said of me. So you can hold me accountable. I've said it before. I, I hope you can say, boy, George is really improving as a teacher, as a preacher. He's way better than he was a couple of years ago because that's what I'm trying to do. And I'm also trying to understand others who are so far away of my way of thinking because I want to give God everything I can to bless. I don't know if I can change a mind. I certainly know I cannot change a heart. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. But what I do know is I can give the Holy Spirit everything I possibly can to bless. So I want to be involved in win-win. I want to be a person of the word where I hear and I speak, and when I speak, I speak carefully. I speak clearly. I speak with candor. I don't weaponize words. And I want you to hold me to the standard of maturity and increasing maturity as I live and you live and we live our lives for God's glory. Pray with me, please. Blessed are you, Lord God, King of the universe, sovereign over all. Bless and thank you this day for this day, Father, and for this time and for your word. I thank you for these people. These are your people. This is the body of Christ. This is the bride of Christ. And Lord, when people see us, we want them to see Jesus. And Father, there are things that are going wrong all around us. And they need some adult, wise, loving conversation and input. Now, we understand, Father, that there's a wildness about sin, and sometimes it scares us, and it's easy for us, sometimes too easy for us, to draw in and not go out. But this is not such a time. This is a time for us to move forward in our families, in our communities, 
with you. So Isaiah was right when he asked you, teach us your ways so that we may walk in your paths. Because you have a path for each and every one of us to walk. Equip us, fill us, lead us as we learn your ways to walk your paths and to do so in love. Amen. It's our desire that this teaching by George DeYoung has encouraged you to walk more closely in the dust of our Rabbi Yeshua. Please visit us on the web at www.underthefigtree.org or write to us at Under the Fig Tree, P.O. Box 1256, Holland, Michigan, 49423. Please remember George and this ministry in your prayers. Under the Fig Tree is a nonprofit organization that's solely dependent on your tax-deductible contributions. We very much appreciate your support. Now go and tell Israel. And until next time, may the shalom of the Lord guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.